In today's episode, we open our Bibles for a new study. We're opening them to 1 Samuel, chapter 1. The book of 1 Samuel opens with the unique birth of Samuel, a prophet and the last judge of Israel. The book features the rise and fall of King Saul and the eventual anointing and coronation of David as king, the forerunner of Jesus. It's a true story of political intrigue and warfare, but it's more than that. 1 Samuel shows us God working to save his people from their enemies and even from themselves. In today's opening chapter, we're going to meet Hannah, but we're going to learn more about her as we go. Let me just say good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Thursday, April 27th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today and tomorrow, as you've already heard, KFUO is hosting our annual share where you're given the opportunity to partner with us in ministry and become a friend of KFUO. Through your generous donations, KFUO is able to continue its nearly 99-year history of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, with online streaming and podcasts and even an app, KFUO is truly able to live up to our calling, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Well, for the moment, though, before we get back to the share fun, please join me in welcoming my guests. That's right, I said guests. We have two, the Reverend Dr. Michael Morehouse, pastor of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, and his vicar, Gabriel Strawn. Brothers, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Boo. Welcome and greetings to everybody online. Greetings from sunny Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, good well, morning. Pastor Morehouse. Yeah, but welcome, Vicar, too. Nice to have you both on. You know, I, I got to say, we have a busy show this morning, and thankfully, we've already met Pastor Morehouse last time he was on this show. But perhaps you, Vicar Strawn, might be willing to share with our listeners just a little bit about yourself before we begin. Sure. I'm on my vicarage in Tucson. I'm a seminarian at Fort Wayne, and um, I'm originally from Minneapolis, so in your state, Pastor Boo. Um, That's right. That's just about three hours from me. I'm, I'm all the way in the southwest corner of Minnesota, so I'm practically in South Dakota. But yeah, Minneapolis is somewhere in here. So that's where you're originally from. And which seminary are you going to? Fort Wayne. Okay, Fort Wayne. All right, good. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, we have two great seminaries, one in St. Louis, one at Fort Wayne, and it's great to have you on. Uh, married or children or anything like that yet? Yes. My wife is listening, I hope. Her name's Jen. Hi, Jen. And I have a daughter, Aurora, and an unborn son yet to be named. Oh, wonderful. Aurora. That's a great name. And uh, hi, Jen, also. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, before we begin, it'd be good to start our time in prayer. So I'll leave it up to you guys to decide who wants to lead us in prayer this morning. So since Vicar's taking the lead on the study, Vicar Strawn, I'll turn it over to you. There you go. <laughs> Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us such a grand opportunity to share your word across the airwaves to people all over the country and indeed the world. Help this word to be edifying for us and help us to take it to heart and share it with everyone we meet skillfully whenever possible. In your name, amen. 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 Thanks, brother. Well, I'll tell you what, before we read any of our text this morning, perhaps you, Vicar, or both of you would be willing to give us 
a little context for Samuel. Help us prepare for the weeks to come as we as we get into this this great book, this wonderful revelation of God. I'm very glad you asked, actually, because that's a lot of what I prepared. So um, I I truly believe if you're looking at anything in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you should really be looking at the historical context of the thing, because a, a seminary professor told me this, and I don't remember which one, so I'm sorry that I'm not giving proper credit, but the Bible was written for you, but not to you. The things in the Bible had an original audience and finding out who that audience is and who wrote it and at what time it was written help you understand the things in the text that maybe are a little more challenging or don't hit modern ears correctly or have some weird idiom or whatever. Um, so the historical context around 1 Samuel is my absolute favorite. Um, I'm a big fan of the ancient Near East in general and um, the, the date of writing for Samuel, as best we can tell, is around 790 BC, uh, but it takes place around 1100 BC, which is just after or maybe just at the tail end of what's called the Bronze Age Collapse. And the Bronze Age Collapse is this, this wide scale destruction of pretty much the entirety of civilization around the year 1200 or 1175. You'll find if you look up books on the topic, they're all very doomsday-ish, the 1175, the year that the all civilization was destroyed and whatever. It, it, it certainly is almost at that level, really, in, in the Levant and in the area around where our story takes place. So, I mean, pretty much any civilization you can think of that was... A powerhouse before this time has collapsed. The Mycenaean kingdoms have suffered disasters and destroyed cities at, in about 1200. The Hittite Empire, which was previously a huge, huge powerhouse, has also collapsed by this time. Assyria has lost much of its territory by about 1050, so a little bit after the birth of Samuel. And uh, Babylon, Babylon is a lot less powerful than it was in Babylon proper. The city has its population cut by about 75% around this time. The only civilization that relatively remains unscathed, and this is again, just civilizations in this area. I'm not familiar with how China, India, Indonesia are doing at this time, but um, Egypt remains, they still get hit pretty hard. Uh, they still are on, collapse watch, let's say, but they don't fully collapse in on themselves. They do lose a lot of their vassal states in Palestine and Syria and lose a lot of their power, but, and they also suffer. And I found this very timely. They suffer great inflation around this time. <laughs> uh, I found a document saying that uh, the grain prices, which is generally people go off of to judge ancient economies the grain prices reached as high as 24 times their pre-collapse price um, and they settled around eight times higher than their price during this period and then eventually around the birth of samuel they dropped to about double the price that they were pre-collapse so it's not a great time to be living in egypt um, but if you've never heard of the Bronze Age collapse, you might be wondering what happened, right? What did everyone just 
what happened. So it's the jury's out a little bit or either that or there's not really one main reason. Rather, there's a bunch of things that sort of happen at the same time. It seems to be that around this time, a lot of countries in this area were experiencing a, a, a significant drought. We have a lot of documents from from different leaders calling for grain aid to the pharaohs and other leaders because they can't grow any grain where they are because there's a drought and they don't have any water. Um, they what, what also was a problem for them is their economies were quite narrow. They didn't really, you know, that a lot of their wealth came from the trade of, let's say, grain or something similar that relied on the water. So when they didn't have any water, they didn't have nearly as much trade revenue as they as they used to. Um, there was also a series of outside invasions by a group of people called the Sea People and other peoples as well from places like present day Libya and and but the sea people are generally what people look to people that came from the Aegean and and sort of didn't really have a, a country of their own, but just came and took over swaths of of the Levant and and set up their own cities. And and a lot of biblical scholars think that this is where the the Philistines come from, where the Philistines were originally these sea people that uh, had great they enterprised the use of iron in their weaponry much more frequently than than other people and we're getting into the iron age as samuel is born and the events of the story unfold so the the philistines are a little ahead of the curve with their technology and their weaponry and their armor um so you also have a problem with corrupt government officials especially in egypt which causes a lot of this sort of collapse and infighting and that kind of thing um a lot of trade routes in the ancient world also relied on a very peaceful time, and this wasn't a very peaceful time. So a lot of trade routes were the trade routes were disrupted as well. So the little trade that they did have after the drought wasn't able to effectively happen because of the trade routes. There's also a series of natural disasters recorded other places, earthquakes and random stuff that happened that leveled some cities. Um, and again, ultimately, it's sort of all of these things. So this is a very apocalyptic time in, in human history. And it's something that's, it ties in quite well with what you were just talking about recently in Judges, right? I mean, the, yeah. the, peop the, the people of Israel are sort of under this sort of, the same sort of thing, except it's more of a spiritual destruction, right? Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, so it says. Um, in judges, so it sort of mirrors the secular destruction in the in the region that we're starting in Israel. They don't suffer as much from the collapse because they're not a empire; they're very nomadic, so they don't. None of the, this stuff doesn't affect them nearly as much. Um, well, it's interesting so, that you. Well, it's interesting that you bring up this background because. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The way you're describing it, it's kind of like it's a it's a apocalyptic is the word you used. I might use the word Mad Max, right? Everybody's just yeah. kind of going out for themselves, trying to protect themselves and their own interests. And you know, at the beginning of Samuel, we're we have the Israelites in a loose association of tribes, and they are in time-wise, we have it coming from the period of the judges. And as we look through Judges, we see that uh, there's a lot of things going on that just 
defy explanation. But even though you say they're not as affected by some of the collapse because there's not much to collapse, this concept of everybody kind of doing their own thing, well, that really that really fits because we hear some of the stories, especially the most recent one that we heard on the past couple of shows on Judges, and we're just like, how can people behave this way? And that makes a lot of sense if all society in their area is kind of collapsing and they are just uh, infants in their in their in their nation building then wow well wow, they 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 don't have a lot to hold on to it's kind of crazy well so, and this really to our time and go ahead vicar oh so i was going to say this really colors a lot of things throughout the narrative of samuel you know when they ask for a king just like the other kings you're like wait but all the other kings are pathetic and nothing right now right why do you want a king like everybody else they're all collapsed they've all failed um and it also you know leaves the the power vacuum open for a new country for a new nation to rise up and take power in the area which will be israel of course under david well, that's and that's what we're going to get into. We're going to actually get right into the text when we come back. But you know what? I think we should pause just for a moment, take a little break to hear from our friends in the studio down in St. Louis so they can tell us more about how Sherathon 2023 is going. Become a day sponsor during our share today. Call 314-821-0850 or toll-free 1-800-730-2727. Good morning. This is Dan Dornall from KFUO, and happy share 2023. You, too, could be part of our share by calling 1-800-730-2727. That's 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. That's 314-821-0850. Thanks, Dan. I want to share about one of the levels of, of giving. Um, our friend just mentioned day sponsorship, become a day sponsor. By becoming a day sponsor of KFUO at the producer level of $480, that is just $40 a month. I can do math just like Sarah. Uh, $40 a month. Uh, that That uh, is the producer level or a day sponsor level. And at that level, we love to uh, give you the opportunity to share a message with our listeners. Maybe it's a special day you want to celebrate. Maybe it's a birthday or an anniversary, baptismal birthday. That's a fun one to celebrate, a great one to celebrate and, and share with our friends. Or maybe there's something else you want to celebrate or commemorate. You can do that by becoming a day sponsor with KFUO. And in addition to the day sponsorship, we'd also like to say thank you with the KFUO t-shirt. Um, there is a gentleman's t-shirt and a ladies t-shirt. So whichever, whichever uh, you would like this year. And also the stylus pin, which is really nice. It's got a 
one of those handy like stylus tips on it for using with electronic devices with touchscreens and things like that. But it's also a nice pen too. All the folks taking calls in the studio today are using them, and you can call one eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven or three one four eight two one zero eight fifty. Now, Dan, this is your second official Shareathon, is that right? Yes, that's true. What's the what's the excitement level, the energy like during Shareathon? Other than maybe a little nervous. Well, it, it, it brings the point that the listener support that we get helps for this ministry to go around the world. And, and that really puts a warm spot in my heart. And it helps to everyone to be involved by helping what Christ has put in front of us. And if you want to partner with KFUO, if you appreciate programs like Thy Strong Word, where we, uh, where Pastor Boo and friends really dig into God's Word and help us understand uh, God's Word, if you appreciate Thy Strong Word, join with KFUO, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850 for share 2023. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Dr. Michael Morehouse, pastor of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, and his vicar, Gabriel Strong. Well, vicar, you've given me a new appreciation for what's going on in the world around the Israelites as we begin our text today. Um, I say we dive in, though. Let's hear the first eight verses so that we can see, uh, well, let's see what's going on. Let's meet Hannah, find out... uh, how Samuel comes into the world. This is the birth of Samuel. Uh, Here we go. There was a certain man of Ramathayim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to Yahweh of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of Yahweh. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, although Yahweh had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because Yahweh had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of Yahweh, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? All right, we'll we'll stop there. So here we have a certain man, and he has a couple of wives. One has kids, one doesn't. And it sounds like the one who has kids, not only has she been given children, but it really doesn't sound like she's a very nice person. Uh, What do you (laughs) think, Vicar? Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things in this beginning, even in just these beginning verses of Samuel. To to start out, you know, figuring out the the brief family tree of Samuel is helpful or just having this helpful in your mind going forward that first Chronicles six reveals that Samuel is of the line of Kohath and thus he's 
but somebody who's permitted to be carrying the ark, as it says in Exodus 4. Um, he's of the line of Izhar, which is Moses's uncle, rather than Amram, Moses's father. That's who Eli's line is. So when the when the when the priestly line gets taken from Eli and goes over to um, goes over to to Samuel or the oh, Zadok and Samuel and all those, it's still a Levite. They're just a different from a different son of Levi, let's say. Um, but yeah, the uh, the theme or the trope or whatever you want to call it of one wife being barren and one wife not being barren has already come up in scripture several times by this point, right? We've got it with Rachel and Leah, of course, and we've got it with Sarah and Hagar in Genesis. Um, it's, you know, Peninnah is not a very nice woman, it sounds like, but there's also in this interchange a sort of scathing review of being a polygamist, it would seem, right? It's it, to the surprise of no one listening, I'm sure, the two women that share a husband don't get along, right? Um, right. And yeah, it's, what, it's, it's like Sister Wives, the TV show, you know? They, they, <laughs> they thrive on the drama. And right. here we have—and and you were speaking earlier of being interested in the ancient Near East, and so husbands would have been very essential for a woman's survival, which makes sense, and we don't know the circumstances by which he's come across a couple of women, but it's not uncommon to have a couple of mm -hmm. wives, uh, and he's taking care of them. But what's the importance of having children? And, and I suppose, is Elkanah being kind of— I don't know. Is being tone deaf when he's like, "Hey, you got me. I'm, aren't I better than ten sons?" Yeah, that's exact. He's being extremely tone deaf because he's not sharing in his wife's suffering because he can't. Right? He's already got six children by his other wife, or five children, or however many it is. So he doesn't understand what it's like to be childless, but his wife does. So when he, well, aren't I enough? You don't get it, and you don't get it because you've got another wife with five children and you're not barren, you know, that, that, now that's interesting. And, you know, I think that if we can argue, and I think rightfully so that a couple of wives might be tempted to not get along, we can also argue pretty, pretty rightfully that husbands tend to be a little tone deaf when it comes to their wives needs sometimes. So I think we can all be convicted a little bit just by their home situation. Uh, but, she is praying. She, they're, they're, they seem to be very faithful people, though, regardless of um, her rival, as the scripture puts it, uh, Penina, uh, regardless of her kind of teasing her or maybe worse, he still seems to be pretty, pretty uh, going up to Shiloh regularly, demonstrating his piety year by year. He's going up. Um, that seems to be inconsistent with a lot of the people of this time period, if, if we're dating this at the time of Judges. Yeah, Elkanah and also Hannah, and probably Peninnah too. She's kind of rude, but I, she's going with them, I, I would think. But they show remarkable faith for the period, right? No, there's not a lot of people doing this. And you can, you can see the sort of state of the faith in Israel by a couple of things. First, Hophni and Phinehas, and the author of Samuel, who is, it's, a, it's the Holy Spirit, of course, but a man wrote Samuel, you know, with, a, with and he's, great he does a lot of really cool things and we're not sure who wrote samuel it's probably not samuel completely because it records his death so he can't really be recording his own death right but he 
he drops in this little detail of Hophni and Phineas beforehand because later they'll be, you know, the villains, the wicked priests and everything. So it's a bit of a, a bit of foreshadowing. But through the wickedness of Hophni and Phineas, who both hold pretty high priestly offices, you can see that that the the worship life in Israel isn't very healthy. And you can also see it from Eli, who's complacent in all this, and he's painfully fat, we learn later. So it's really hard to get fat in the ancient world if you didn't know. <laughs> you have right, to be right. very inactive, which is very rare to be inactive in the ancient world. I mean, you have to be active to do anything. Uh, but also it means that you're eating a lot. <laughs> right. That would have so, been a sign probably, of probably wealth, right? Because the ability to not have to work for a living and then you also have all you need. So that I think that would indicate that you're pretty well off. Yeah, wealth and and also we learn later that Hophni and Phineas are eating the choicest meats that are meant for offering and they're taking them for themselves and they're eating the fattiest portions of meat for themselves. So if Eli is also doing that, which the text is ambiguous on, but I, I mean, if he's super fat, I would think he's probably doing something <laughs> like that. You know, it means that he's not doing exactly what he was, he's supposed to be as the priest. And you can see it too when when Hannah comes and is praying in the in the you know near the tent, and he's and his immediate thought is, oh, she's drunk. Well, why don't we don't look you... at that? Because, uh, yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. So why don't we add that? This is going to be verses 9 through 20, a big chunk, but we're going to meet Eli and uh, hear just what the vicar had referenced. Here we go. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of Yahweh. She was deeply distressed and prayed to Yahweh and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Yahweh of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before Yahweh, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in the spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before Yahweh. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before Yahweh, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and Yahweh remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from Yahweh. Well, we won't be able to get all the way through this before we take another break, but I want to start by pointing out that here's another man who's pretty tone deaf. Uh, he's seeing this woman, as you pointed out, uh, murmuring in prayer, and he just assumes that she's a drunken woman. But he kind of turns it around, I suppose, when she explains it to him. But uh, begin to take us through this, but just know that we only have a couple minutes before our next break. Yeah, so like I was saying earlier, Eli's response where he does turn it around and he shows, you know, some faith later, 
he he sort of reveals the the state of things that might be going on, right? If his first thought at a woman muttering to herself, which is a very, you know, something that we would see as prayer if you're doing it in a church seems pretty clear, right? Um, but he takes her as being a drunk. So I don't know if drunks frequented Shiloh or if Eli just it hasn't seen someone pray there in a while, but it, it might reveal to the reader um, that people weren't really praying that often, certainly not at Shiloh. Another possibility is that they uh, were used to hear it, uh, making oral prayers and not uh, prayers silently. And that may have tripped him up too. Just another possibility. Now, Pastor, in your experience, have you ever come up across anybody praying and just assumed that they were drunk at all? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, but, but you know, I think this does kind of connect to our experience a little bit, though. Not perhaps one to one, but think about the times when we, as Christians, and hopefully not as pastors and vicars, but but maybe right, we're all sinners. But we've encountered people who were in distress, but our first sinful thoughts were, you know, this person doesn't need help or they need to they need to go away. I, and I'm thinking of someone who might be indigent or someone who struggles with drugs and alcohol. And they show up at the church and your first thoughts are, I just need to get rid of this person as soon as I can. When reality, this is an opportunity for you to serve them in the name of the Lord. I, I, I think that's I can admit that that's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to a lot of us. Well, Pastor Boo, that's why God gave us the gift of holy absolution so that we can confess our sins and receive his forgiveness when we have those times and go past that in ourselves and, and provide his ministry to the people that are before Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Because actually he, he draws them there. They may think they've stumbled in on their own, but God's working through that. And That's a good know, thing for all Christians to remember. Go ahead, Vicar. Well, yeah, and I think my mother told me this. I want to say, but you know, it's not really your first thought. That's a problem. It's your first, it's your second thought about the first thought, right? So your first oh. thought is probably your first thought is always going to be sinful, probably because we're human beings, but you know, the, the sort of realizing that's not right. I shouldn't assume that of this person. That's what's, you know, maybe a better thing to focus on because if you're always down on, Oh, I can't believe I thought this, that was my first thought we're sinful people. Our first thoughts are most of the time sinful, right? But the, the Holy that, Spirit getting you to check yourself is what maybe is better to focus on. Well, that's uh, that's some pretty good advice from Mama Strawn. I like that. Well, <laughs> folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to take another break. But when we come back, Pastor Morehouse and Vicar Strawn and I will keep on going through First Samuel 1. See you on the other side. celebrating the ministry of Worldwide KFUO. Please prayerfully consider supporting our ministry during share Call 314-821-0850 or toll-free 1-800-730-2727. Welcome to share 2023. I'd like to take this time to open our mailbox. This is a letter from Lois. Hello, I just wanted to let you know that each time I open an episode of Thy Strong Word, it's as though I 
I'm opening a treasure chest filled with jewels, not those of the earth, but the imperishable jewels of God's word. Thank you for this amazing gift. Thank you, Lois, for this letter. Yeah, thanks, Lois, for taking the time to write in. I I really appreciate when our listeners take the time to send us an email or use the talkback feature on the app to share with us uh, what they appreciate. Or maybe there's something that might need to be fixed. Maybe something's broken that needs to be fixed. And our listeners are are great about letting us know um, what they appreciate or if there's something that that maybe needs some attention. Uh, Ron from Houston, Texas writes, what a blessing to have found this app. This came right on time because I became a Lutheran about 12 years ago. With my work, I rarely can attend church, and I get so discouraged that services are only held on Sundays. I've been considering attending a Catholic church because they have so many worship opportunities, but I just couldn't because of so many other beliefs that are unbiblical. I then remembered seeing this station on Concordia Publishing House's website. So I looked it up and put your app on my phone yesterday, and it is already blessing me and restoring me. I am truly grateful to God for leading me here. Thank you. That's Ron of Houston, Texas. Thanks, Ron, for taking time to, to, one, to download the KFUO app, and two, to let us know that you did that and that it's been a help to you. If you appreciate uh, the resources like the KFUO app and the many programs that you can download um, or listen to live streaming on the KFUO app, give us a call, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. You can also text to give by texting the number 41444. That's the number you're sending the message to. Type in KFUO as the message, and you'll get a response back that walks you through the steps to do that on your phone. It's super easy to do, a great way to be able, a convenient way to make a gift to support the proclamation of God's Word on KFUO. Sherathon 2023. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word again. My name is Pastor Phil Boo. I have with me today the Reverend Dr. Michael Morehouse, pastor of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, and his vicar, Gabriel Strawn. So, uh, vicar and pastor, before the break, we had just gotten through the vow that Hannah had made. One of the things that stood out to me in her vow was the shaven head, right? A razor won't touch his head. That's a Nazarite vow. I, we haven't talked about that since Samson. Uh, do you want to give the listeners a little bit about perhaps why she's making it a Nazarite vow? And, and, and is that something that whenever we picture Samuel, is he going to be uh, head shaven forever? Or <laughs> what's the context behind that? Yeah, so I find it very interesting as well that she's she's given him as a Nazarite. And, and it might clue you into just how how much her faith was and we'll get i mean the faith of hannah is truly great and it and it and it's revealed in her her prayer later but as far as i can tell her 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 dedicating samuel as a nazarite which you can find the full description of a nazarite vow in number six if you're interested um anyone listening uh it it, there's a lot of stipulations that go along with being a nazarite there's the um no cutting of the hair, which is the most famous one, but they also can't touch dead things and they can't drink wine or any part of a grape. Or if, if somebody dies suddenly next to them, they have to go get purified. And it's, it's a whole thing. 
it's it's a it's a very involved um it's it's a way to set someone aside for uh, as you know pure for the lord right and for service to the lord in this case so it shows so hannah's offering her son as into the service of the lord very much as a first fruits offering right even though she it's it it's it brings very much like the the sacrifice of isaac almost where she really really wants this son that's all she wants but when she gets the son she promises she'll give him to the lord right after she weans him which is probably two or three years so it shows how much faith she has that god will certainly provide more for her not just this son she can give this son and god will provide her even more which he does we read later she has about five children um i that's now that's an interesting point that you brought up two things one she's not sort of handing him over to eli until he's weaned which is a couple of years that's an important point for people to remember as they're trying to put the the story in their head the other thing which i don't i think does go unnoticed because it is a first fruits offering in the sense that she will be blessed with more children which is wonderful this isn't a virgin birth right we have not only has she been trying but you know god uses the normal means we're we're told specifically that um her husband knew her but at the same time it is this awful I guess, and I, and I like how you compared it to the sacrifice of Isaac because she really is begging for a son, receives a son, and then almost immediately uh, presses him into service. Uh, but the two years, I think, is what stands out to me the most because I think without really considering how long the weaning period is, I just imagined Eli and his two worthless sons having to take care of a baby. That's that's <laughs> sitcom. That's sitcom material right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually. Tyler... Even, even right, Pastor, or even a toddler. Right, and and the fact that she names him Samuel, the, the name itself indicates that she is dedicating him fully to God. And what does this mean? By turning him over to God, she actually indicates she believes he's going to live forever in him. Well, that makes sense, too. That makes sense, too. You know, and, and I just, it's just this amazing thing, though, where she begs for something, receives it, and immediately re-gifts it so to speak or almost immediately wow what what an amazing woman you know this is uh, i i'm pretty sure this is true uh this just as in terms of trivia this is the only account in the scriptures where a woman makes a vow and keeps it and, and so we have hannah as this beautiful epitome to uh keeping your promises to the lord but really it's not her promise that is in focus here but rather the lord's promise and the lord's ability to to uh, bless her with what she's desired. Uh, I'd like to add some verses to our conversation. This is going to be verses 21 through 28, which is actually the end of the chapter, even though we're going to go a little further today. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to Yahweh the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of Yahweh and dwell there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may Yahweh establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. 
And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of Yahweh at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to Yahweh. For this child I prayed, and Yahweh has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to Yahweh. As long as he lives, he is lent to Yahweh, and he worshipped Yahweh there. And we are going to read Hannah's prayer, uh, but we're going to wait just a moment. So looking at this text here, she brings some offerings, but I guess what's striking is the, the language of, I lent him to the Lord. She lent him forever, but he's lent. Um, is there a better word that could be used there, or I don't know how how do we how do we understand the idea that she's just lending him? So I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't look into that specifically, but it, at at first gloss, you know, it it might be a sort of thing where you know we have David say a similar thing later when his son dies. You know, I won't return, or he won't return to me, but I'll return to him. So maybe she's making some confession there that. They will eventually be together again. So he is lent to the Lord in a sense because he's eventually they're going to be together again in perfect service to Yahweh. Um, I I do think the offering that you brought up is very interesting because it it's quite close to if you look in Numbers 15, there's a there's a description of an offering that you have to give when you make a vow. And her offering here is very similar um, to that passage it's a little different but it's 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 right in the ballpark of of this of this vow offering so not only i i I never heard that this is you said this was the only time a woman makes a vow and keeps it uh in the in the scriptures yes okay yeah i never heard that but she's maybe specifically the old testament yeah she's certainly doing as much as she can per the law of moses to make this vow a vow right she's she's bringing all the offerings and she's even the weaning right she wants him when she when he gets there she doesn't want to have to you know continue feeding him she wants to just leave him so he can start serving the lord right right and which brings us back up to you know now these priests two at least two of whom are kind of worthless fellows as the bible says are now uh taking care of this toddler you know, some uh, commentators I read said that her gift, depending on whether you read it as a three-year-old bull or three bulls, uh, it, it's it's if it's three bulls especially, then it's a very lavish gift. But even if it's just a three-year-old bull, you still have a pretty lavish gift here. Um, and she brings wine too, and that's just part of her offering. But I can't help but think of Eli going, "Oh yeah, here's the woman that was drunk," but you know. So she gives them all of these things, and um, what I think is interesting, and I'm sure it's it, it happened, but it's just left out in our record of it, we don't really get to hear Eli's side of the story. Was he somehow compelled to take this child, or or could he have said, uh, no, uh, go home with your child? You know, I, I'm just curious about that, if, you, if you've thought about that or read about that. Yeah, it's interesting that we see Samuel acting in a in a in a let's say a priestly a, a 
priestly he's doing priestly activities much earlier than usually you know if you go by numbers eight usually around 25 years old is when you can start which is good for me uh but usually 25 years old is where you can start doing the priestly activities and samuel is three <laughs> or two right. um so it i mean it, could he have rejected Samuel, maybe, but I think also somebody with so much faith as to leave their child in Yahweh's services, again, as we were discussing previously, pretty rare. And coming out of the time of the judges, you can see it's exceedingly rare for someone to want to do this. So um, maybe it's well, just perhaps it speaks. Perhaps it speaks a little bit to Eli's character. You know, that comes under question in our next chapter, which we'll cover tomorrow. But, you know, maybe this shows that at the very least, there he's he's trying to do his best, even though he has some nepotism towards his sons. Yeah, he's working from the office which he has been given, right? And so the office brings with it certain requirements. And if someone's dedicating the person to the Lord, then he it's incumbent upon the holder of the office to receive that as to the Lord, right? So he's actually functioning in his office, whether he it's kind of like Caiaphas prophesying for the whole nation, right? Um, it's the office itself does the work and, and Eli himself is an unworthy person just like all of us are but the office itself is holy and has been established by God well and so you're seeing it definitely as as he's going to be faithful to his office and he's going to keep uh, keep Eli of course he does because that's what the, the book is about especially this part at the very beginning as we hear about Samuel growing up into his role as prophet and the last judge. But for right this very moment, I think we should pause once again, head back to the studios down in St. Louis to hear more about Sherathon 2023. See you on the other side. phone lines are open. Please call and support the Worldwide Ministry of KFUO now at 314-821-0850 or toll-free 1-800-730-2727. Happy share 2023. You too could be part of this wonderful event by becoming a day sponsor. <laughs> Friends of KFUO who give at the producer level of $480 We'll get to select a day to have a special message to go out over the air on KFUO. Whether that's a baptism, anniversary, birthday, or just a memory of a loved one, you too could be part of this ministry that takes the word of the Lord around the world. In studio, we have Mary Schmidt and Pastor Doug Gribbenaw with some thank yous. Yes. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Doing well yourself. Excellent. I'm doing well. I'm had a lot of coffee this morning. <laughs> I have a lot of people I'd like to thank, and Doug is going to help me thank a few people as well. I'd like to thank Erna Edler of Steelville, Illinois. We really appreciate your support, Erna. I'd also like to thank Arlie Elman of St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you so much for your gifts. 
thank you to Susan Engelke of Livingston, Illinois. We really appreciate you. Thank you to Marshall England of Golden, Colorado for your gift and support of KFUO. Thank you to David and Sandra Sue. Oh, sorry, David and Sandra Sue Fee of Saint. Oh my goodness, of Fort Myers, Florida. You need some more coffee, I Mary. Do. <laughs> or it might be too much coffee. <laughs> I'd also like to thank Helen Fink of Baldwin, Missouri. We really appreciate all of your support and all of your gifts. And Benjamin Burnison out of Sanford, Michigan. Thank you so much for your gift to us. And Alice, Alice Campbell of Staunton, Illinois. Thanks for sharing with KFUO Radio. Gladys Cook out of Moscow Mills, Missouri. I think I need to go visit. That sounds like a really cool place. <laughs> Gladys, thanks for supporting KFUO Radio. And Leroy and Dolores Darnstedt, and I apologize if I didn't pronounce that right. I have the strangest pronunciation. Out of uh, Bethalto, Illinois. Oh, you guys are the best. Thank you so much. And Paula Dustman out of St. Genevieve, Missouri. And Robert and Judith Eckert out of Waukesha, Wisconsin. Well, thank you. You are such wonderful supporters of KFU Radio. We can't thank you enough, but we're going to do a few more here. Thank you, thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thank you. you. <laughs> and a thank you for me also. You too could be part of share 2023 by calling 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. share 2023. Welcome back for a third time to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Dr. Michael Morehouse, pastor of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, and his vicar, Gabriel Strong. Well, vicar, anything else, or pastor, you too, anything else you want to cover before we move into Hannah's prayer? Now, I know we've been going through this text at a pretty good clip. We have a couple extra breaks because of share but I want to make sure that if there are any standout points you want to make, that uh, that you have that chance to make them. Yeah, a couple of things. So the 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 dedicate or the Lent word uh, that we that you were just asking about. So it comes from the the author of Samuel uses these root letters for several to several different degrees of literary effect in this in this sort of whole chapter, right? And it, the the word for Lent has the same root letters as Saul's name, uh, which which means asked. And the very name Samuel, right, um, sort of foreshadows the name of Saul because they're sort of at, you know, he asked and God heard. And, and it's this very interesting sort of literary devices that the author is using. He does it again with when Hannah answers Eli. And actually in English, this is actually a little more poetic, which I think is the only time in scripture that's ever happened. But it says, no, in verse 15, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. So she hasn't poured out drink. She hasn't been pouring drink. She's been pouring out her soul. And in English, we get the tie in with the word spirit, which in English is tied with alcohol as well. So she's saying, no, I'm troubled in spirit rather than I'm troubled in I'm not drunk. Um, he does it again with um, when Elkanah goes, uh, it says he knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. You know, he does these sort of poetic turns all the time. Even in English, we can pick them up, which I think is so wonderful. 
because a lot of times it's like, oh, if you get the Hebrew, then you can really get the poetic. It's it's even there in English in Samuel. I really like I really like the ESV translations in Samuel. I think they do a good job of bringing it out. Yeah, the vicar brings up a good point. Is is you know there are lots of plays on words and irony and even a lot of humor, but it is lost in translation. And so it's nice when the uh, translators do their best to bring that over. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and read. Now we're going to be at. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pastor. No, I was just saying, we keep talking about the author, the author, the author. And uh, for those who are wondering if we're not going with some kind of hair criticisms, criticism, the, the book <laughs> itself has multiple sources named. One source book is uh, in 2 Samuel 1.18, for those who are taking notes. The others appear to be in Chronicles. The Annals of King David, 1 Chronicles 27-24, the records of Samuel the seer, and the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer, all in 1 Chronicles 29-29. So we're not saying, we're not using critical theory here, we're just using the text, okay? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes books are named for their author, sometimes books are named for their subject. It is true, historically, First Samuel has been the one that, First um, Samuel, I'm sorry, Samuel has been the one to whom First Samuel has been attributed um, however, there are some logical points about recording his own death and things that happened after his death uh, that are a little difficult to coincide with that. And so, yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with understanding that God brings us his word through means. Um, just like Hebrews, sometimes the means aren't exactly what we historically thought they were. Uh, but we always rely on the Holy Spirit to give us his word through the text. And so let's hear what the Holy Spirit has to share with us as he reveals to us Hannah's prayer. This is actually in chapter 2, but I thought it fit well with chapter 1, so I wanted to include it. This is verses 1 through 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in Yahweh, my horn is exalted in Yahweh, my mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like Yahweh, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For Yahweh is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Yahweh kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Yahweh makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are Yahweh's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail, the adversaries of Yahweh shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to Yahweh in the presence of Eli the priest. All right, so we just have a few minutes, unfortunately, and I know it can't do this beautiful text justice. Obviously, it sounds so much like the Magnificat. There's so many connections to make. So let's just make a few really important connections, and I'll also have my next guest uh, review it a little bit, too, so that we don't miss out. But uh, go ahead on Hannah's prayer. 
Yeah, so it does sound a lot like the Magnificat and the Benedictus even a little. Um, and each of these three are very similar in that they're all the in the response to the birth of a child. Here we have Samuel and the Magnificat is Jesus, of course, and then the Benedictus is John the Baptist. Um, and they all three have the theme of an increase in status. We have the horn of salvation in the Benedictus, and we have my horn is exalted in verse two here. If you're unfamiliar with the Hebrew idiom, or verse one, sorry, if you're unfamiliar with the Hebrew idiom, it's like a, a bull lifting its horns after after a fight. It, it, it means your status has been increased. Um, and Mary, you know, said he has ex exalted those of a humble estate in the Magnificat. So they all carry this theme of increasing your status, increasing your your station. And because that's ultimately what all of these children will end up doing for God's people. Um, it's it's all very wonderful. And in, 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 her, in Hannah's prayer, she's you can see her foretelling elements of Samuel's ministry of of exalting the people of God. You can see her foretelling things about David's reign, even how the adversaries of the Lord will be broken to pieces. And you can even see her foretelling a bit of the reign of the Messiah. Right. Um, against the will thunder in heaven, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, you know, and, and exalt the power of his anointed in verse 10. It's, I love this, I love this prayer uh, 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 a lot. <laughs> well, I wish we had more time to go through each part of it. I will illustrate one thing that's interesting is at the very end in verse 10, she says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king. So his king, right? We, the Lord has promised a king to Israel. It's just that they are going to be impatient in him fulfilling that in his own time. But knowing that at the end of this boy's ministry will come the first king of Israel, um, I think it's it's beautiful foreshadowing of that right here. If I could say one more thing, there's in this passage. There's the this is the only verse in this entire passage we've read during the show. Um, this, this Hannah's prayer has the only verse that's used in the Book of Concord. If you'd like to hazard a guess, it's a bit of a weird one. Well, I, I don't know that I could hazard a guess. Which one is it? Let me well, off it's the hook. It's verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings to Sheol and raises up. Um, it's used in the apology under the, the article of repentance, and it's just talking about how it is. it stresses the act of the Lord as the one. You know, the Lord is the one who brings to life. It's the Lord who calls, it's the Lord, you know, who, it's it's faith in the Lord that, that, that achieves salvation. It's not, you know, it doesn't say the works of the faithful bring to life. Of course they don't. It's, it's only the Lord that brings to life. Something beautiful and important for us to remember this Easter tide. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dr. Michael Morehouse, pastor of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, and his vicar, uh, Vicar Gabriel Strawn. Thank you, Vicar. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. You're welcome. Christ is risen. He Alleluia. is risen indeed. Hallelujah. So until uh, we meet again, which is tomorrow, and we'll be live streamed on Facebook for sharing. Peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.